Comes around to the boards and goes to center. But it's tipped over to Eichel again. He'll bring it right back in. Eichel trying to go on the back end. Got it in front. They score! Oh, my! Victor Olsen! Welcome back! Western New York welcomes you, Victor Olsen! This puck wide. There's nowhere for him to go. But Victor Olsen does a nice job just slowing up in that area. And Jack, on a forehand, spins around. It's almost like he wanted to do it the whole time. Like it might have been some kind of a set play. And you see Wierenski, he goes to the far post instead of staying with Olsen and leaves him wide After my third surgery in 289 days, the Sportscasters is back on the air. It's season 10, episode number 2, and all I can do is apologize for the last year and all the starts and the stops and the starts and the stops and episodes and breaks and episodes and breaks, but unfortunately, my body just didn't cooperate this year, and it took three surgeries. I want to thank Dr. Adams and everyone at Millard Fillmore Suburban Hospital. They treated me great. I've gotten great care, great pain control, and uh, I'm really being able to heal up as best I can. It's slow, um, but it is what it is, and we'll talk more about it in one last thing. For now, thank you. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Season 10, we're nine years into this show. I don't think when I started I've ever thought I'd do it for nine years, but here I am. And the guy who was on the second ever episode of this show nine years ago, Greg Wyshynski, who was then known as the Puck Daddy, is on this podcast. He'll be our first guest in a minute. After we're done with a little intro here, we'll take a break and we'll go to Greg. Also on the show today is Mike Shope. Uh, the Sabres caused a little bit of a stir nationally. and It was because of a guy named Dwayne, who's actually a friend of my brother's. Uh, he called the local radio station here that Mike Shope works for. And he ranted and raved about the frustrations of Sabres fans. And it got a little national play. You know, we are all Dwayne. Uh, There was a big protest in front of the arena that drew 15 people, I think. And, of course, Sabres fans are frustrated. And Greg Wyshynski wrote about it in his column on ESPN.com. And we talk about that. And we also talk about the trade deadline and a bunch of non-Sabres stuff, too. Uh, And then Mike and I talk a little bit about the Sabres as well. And then we get into radio. Uh, I love talking radio with Mike. So that's what we're going to do today. On the next podcast, Jeff Perlman's going to join us. And I'm looking forward to that. The other thing that I'm really looking forward to doing is playing some of the older interviews. I mentioned that that was something I was thinking about. And I got really good feedback on that. So it's something I definitely want to do is uh, play older interviews Uh, So maybe instead of getting a second guest next week, uh, it'll be Jeff Perlman and an older interview. Uh, Or maybe I'll do a second guest. I got a lot of emails out. I'm booking hard. Uh, And sometimes these things will come in clumps. And uh, then you'll go dry a bit. And then you'll get a bunch again. And I'm hoping that playing the older interviews can maybe help when there's dry spots. Uh, But I'm going to do my best. 
uh, to book a show and try to get it out one every 14 days max. And hopefully we won't have another year like we had last year where there was just so many big gaps and it was so hard uh, to get any momentum. You can find this podcast and all of our podcasts on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports underscore casters. Now, I'm having a problem with my RSS feed there. I don't know if anyone who's listening knows anything about that, but podcasts are just disappearing. There's not any copyright claim or anything like that, and I can make them reappear by making them going into the options and clicking private and then clicking public again. It could be that the RSS feed is full. I'm not really sure what's going on with that. I might have to move them. If you know anything about RSS feeds, you want to reach out. It's the sportscasters at gmail.com. There's an episode you want to hear, and for some reason you can't find it. Let me know. I, I try to re-add them, but they appear and disappear so quickly that right now I'm just kind of focusing on making sure the newest episodes are available. Uh, but that is a frustration, which I'm going to try to figure out. Uh, there's some other things and we'll get to that in the plugs and then we'll do one last thing real quick book club update today. Uh, but mainly I just wanted to get back at it. Two great interviews recorded, pretty hockey heavy, Greg Wyshynski after this and then Mike Shope after the book club. Thanks for hanging in there with me. I always appreciate it. It's the Sportscasters season 10 episode two back at it. Let's take a break. We'll be right back with the puck daddy, uh, our friend since episode two. Greg Wyshynski. All right, our first guest today is from the great state of New Jersey, and he's a graduate of Maryland. He has been with us since the beginning, appearing first on episode two and in every single season since. He's making his first appearance in season 10 today a warm Sportscasters, welcome to our friend Greg Wyshynski. What's up, Greg? Not much. How you doing, I'm buddy? The uh, Oscars high of this week uh, to see Parasite win was exhilarating. Have you seen and, any of those uh, movies? Oh man, yeah. I, saw, I, I try to see as many as I can um, every year. I, I'm kind of a nerd for this sort of stuff. So, the, I mean, it, it, admittedly, the only one I didn't really see uh, for Best Picture this year was 1917, and I kind of feel okay about that now because it didn't win. Didn't I would have anything, right? sort of, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of got shut out. So, um, but yeah, I was a big fan of Parasite and, uh, I was a little emotional last night watching as we do, as we taped this day after right. watching the Oscars because I, uh, I just didn't think that it would, it would push through to win as much as it did. And I, I really adore that flick. And I, and as people are afraid of subtitles, yeah, there's no chance I would ever movie. watch it. Yeah, don't be afraid of this movie because it's 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 a movie that conveys a lot through action um, and through visuals. And yeah, you got to do a little bit of reading, but it's it's not as much as as maybe you'd anticipate. It's it's a movie that can tell its story without you having to read every word on the screen. Well, the director was a great character. You know, like he was a great like I didn't know who he was, and he was it made very easy to be happy for him. You know he was. Yeah, Bong's a good, and yeah. he's he's a really interesting director too. Because, um, you know, there's a, there's a there's he made a movie called The Host, which was about a uh, an allegory involving a, a you know like a kaiju like monster. He did Snowpiercer. He's got a lot of through lines through his movies, and you know one that I think connects both Snowpiercer and Parasite is this notion of 
um, economic disparity and, and, you know, class warfare and things like that. And it, it was, again, it's, it's really funny to see some of the most uh, pampered, well-off people in the world uh, reward a movie that's basically all about how we just keep our, our feet on the necks of the poor at all times. So, um, you know, that was, that was a bit jarring, but, uh, but a very deserved film. It's one of the, it, it's, it's, it's a near perfect movie and without question, like one of the best ones, it's one best picture in the last decade. And he made the, uh, Ovechkin like proclamation that, what did he say? He will drink till the morning or something like that. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of, and then, and then he wound up winning two more awards. <laughs> <laughs> so got to pace yourself. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of what did Ovechkin say? We, we know fucking stink this year. Or how did he put it? Oh, he had that. Oh, fuck. Suck, was, uh, suck, suck. Yeah, we know yeah. suck this year. Um, let's start there then. Uh, thanks for the Oscars bump. I liked it. I, you know, um, I seen The Irishman, but I watched it like a TV show. You know, like in four parts, because I yeah. just couldn't sit there for four hours. And I have the Tarantino movie downloaded to do the same thing. But um, yeah, maybe I'll give Parasite a try. It's a lot. Of, it's, it's great. It's tough for me and, because and, and I'm the, nearsighted. The Irishman do its the Irishman do its credit had my maybe my favorite scene of the year. Um, if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the scene where Pesci and De Niro are in the kitchen of this restaurant making a salad and oh, yeah. uh, determining the fate of Jimmy Hoffa. Mm-hmm. It's it's so perfectly acted. Like it, it, it was one of those things where I, you're just astonished by how how just like pitch perfect the performances are and the dialogue is and the sense of impending doom and all of it. It's it was to me the the, the highlight of the whole entire flick of the whole entire 19 hour flick yeah you know i enjoyed i I did enjoy it i don't understand why people get so annoyed with lengths anymore because it just is so easy in 2020 to watch it like a tv show just watch an hour take a break watch an hour you know i mean it's just so easy now Uh, especially a movie that wasn't even in the theater anyway you know what i mean it's not i mean i guess it was in some places it wasn't here um but um so Ovechkin, as we talk, is two goals away from 700 goals. Um, man, I've been trying to kind of put that in context for a few people. Like how crazy it is that a guy who played when he's played has scored 700 goals. Because how many years do we, you know, have we gotten in his career where like the most scored was like 40, 41, 42? You know, Gretzky scored, you know, Gretzky scored his goal mostly in an era where you know, 70, 70, you know what, Mogilny and Solani scored 76 and didn't win it outright the, if there was an award for that that year. So much obviously has changed with the game in so many different respects. But what about what Ovechkin's done? 700 goals on the precipice of it um, and the incredible accomplishment that it is. It's, it is incredible. And, you know, the thing about Ovi, like you said, is is you could make the argument he's the greatest goal scorer of all time. Absolutely. Already because of, yep. of, of how many goals that he scored in the era in which he scored them. And, you know, Gretzky is the first guy to say that he's extraordinarily fortunate for having played in the 1980s and the early 1990s when uh, you could score 92 goals in a season. <laughs> and right. it, it would seem to be something normal. Um, so the fact that he's done it against the the, the best defensive systems we've ever seen, um, the fact that he's done it against the best athletes that have ever played in the NHL, the fact that he's done it against goaltending that not only has improved exponentially in technique and in style, but in equipment, where you look back at those Gretzky highlights from the 1980s and it looks like 
you know, the, the goaltenders have two, like, eclairs strapped to their legs. Right, the stand-up <laughs> like, style. The stand-up yeah, style. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's all of that factoring together um, and, and just the rigors of travel with expansion and everything else. Like, it, it's all, it, it all speaks to how difficult it is for anybody to do what he's doing. And it speaks to the fact that the stuff that he is doing is in some ways unprecedented to be able to do what he does to have, you know, I think it's like now seven out of the last eight seasons, he's uh, won the goal scoring title. Um, it's, it's just incredible to, to see it happen in an era where, where no one else even comes close to the pace that he's gotten. Yeah, and he's so fantastic. I know like about 500 of them goals are one-timers from that one spot. On the, but, you know, it's just it's so incredible to watch him. And it's also incredible, 700 goals, he's no less excited when he scores another one, right? You know, he's just got that passion uh, for scoring goals. I'm so glad he got a cup. It does make me wish, you know, if you look at the um, goals per game and how incredibly close him and Bray have been throughout Ovechkin's career, you know, and I know that changes obviously every time Ovechkin scores a goal and plays a game. But there was one point in their career not that long ago where they were like literally a hundredth of a a point away, you know, like separated in terms of goals per game. Um, and man, it's just too bad we didn't get five, six, seven more years of Bure with these fantastic sticks and the training methods and just to see how many more he could have put up but man nothing away from Ovechkin 700 do you think I guess this is the million dollar question do you think he gets enough to become to retire as the all-time leading goal scorer in the NHL well let me pause on that for a second and talk about Bray. yeah, yeah like, absolutely one of the one of the one of the more interesting things about Ovechkin in this in this scoring race and I've I've talked to a few uh hall of famers uh Bernie Federico Mike Bossy about this very thing is the fact that what gives, and this kind of ties into your question, what gives Ovechkin the opportunity to break Gretzky's record is the way he scores these goals. And not simply just like the OV spot necessarily, but the fact that it's not reliant on the things that were reliant on Burray, like speed and agility and geeking guys and stuff like that. Like that stuff fades. Like at some point you get slow. At right. some point you're not the skater you used to be. Um, you know the the old, the old canard in the, in, in the NHL is that the hands never go, uh, but the but the legs eventually do. Well, if Ovechkin's legs go, he's still going to be able to stand in one spot and crank that shot. And these guys, these Hall of Famers, all say the same thing, which is that the mechanics of that shot, where people have had decade like 15 years to try to figure out how to defend it and can't do it, means that he's going to keep scoring even if his his speed and his agility kind of decline and, and you can see the way that he's not exactly the most stalwart defensive player these days to the point where you wonder if, if, if the skating is declining a little bit. Um, but he's still going to be able to score those goals. And, and that's why I, listen, I think he's going to break the record. Uh, I, the, the fact of the matter is that as of right now, I think he has to average 30 goals a year for the next six seasons in order to do it. And, and that's with the, the notion that he could have a couple more 50 goal seasons in him. Right, uh, and then those and then those averages get completely out of whack. So um, I think he's going to do it. And, and I spoke to Nina Kimes on the ESPN Daily podcast this week about um, the Gretzky chase and, and and things of that nature. And I don't think hockey fans really have any concept of of what it's going to mean for the sport if he if he threatens the record. Oh, like, it's going to be so two, fun! It's going to be so oh, fun. There yeah. are two universal there are two universal languages. Um, that sports fans speak and that's offense and, and trying to break records. Right. Right. So, yeah. so 
so like if you combine those two things for for hockey and you add in this this incredible outsized personality that Ovechkin has and and already the the cachet outside of the hockey bubble he already has I mean, there's tons of people that don't maybe not know much about the NHL but know Alex Ovechkin and and remember him, you know, swimming in the in the fountain, drunk after they win the cup. Right. Um, you combine all those things together, and you're talking about a, a seminal moment for the National Hockey League um, as as he he gets closer and closer to Gretzky's record, which I think he will. Just to uh, be specific about what we talked about earlier, point six two three goals a game for Bure, point six one three for Ovechkin, and interestingly enough, point six zero one for Gretzky. Uh, they are five, six, seven all time. Uh, there's two guys from the 1890s at three and four uh, who haven't even played 400 games. We'll throw them out. Uh, one is Mike Bossy at point seven six two, another knee injury guy, and of course Lemieux is at point seven five four. You mentioned speed and maybe that being a, obviously was a huge contributing factor to the way Pavel Bure scored and played. And I always think about that when I watch the greatness of McDavid. Because what he has more than everyone is those two, three steps. If he ever had any injury, knock on wood, for the game and for him, I wonder, you know, if he could be like a Bray, someone who doesn't have the, you know, the back end of the career that we're seeing from Ovechkin because he is so, I mean, that is his game, right? His speed. He blows by everybody. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it sort of remains to be seen. I mean, it, there, there's a certain element of, of, of health as well that came into the equation for Burray and and I mean that's also as we kind of circle back to Ovechkin that's also like obviously one of the things that is has characterized his goal scoring explosion and his chasing of history is the fact that you know he's missed I think since 2016 he's missed four games to injury and two to suspension I mean it's it's a remarkable run of of health and stability and durability for a guy that for years played a pretty physical style too so it's not simply you know, the, the, the way that they score these goals, the speed that they have, the shot that they have, it's also kind of hanging in there and, and, and still right. doing it. And you look back at the history of guys like LaFontaine and Bossy and Bure and others um, that have succumbed to injuries as their careers really? have gone right. on. And the fact right. that, yeah, and the fact that Ovechkin hasn't is, is pretty remarkable when you think about, again, the way he, he's played the game for 15 years. And luckily for him and like McDavid, if they did get an injury, they live in 2020 where, you know, the ACL injury isn't what it was 10, 15, even five years ago. You know, the way that these guys train and the science, too, is so far advanced. Um, but that's another rabbit hole we can go down another time. Quickly, you wrote on ESPN a lot about the Sabres. You know I'm in Buffalo and I'm a Sabres fan. And you wrote about the despair and the frustration here. Uh, this kind of guy, Dwayne, has kind of went viral, if that's the right word, for a a phone call he made. He's actually a good friend of one of my brothers, uh, which is funny. So I've known him for like, you know, 15 years. I knew him like as a little kid in diapers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what uh, You really painted a desperately sad picture for the Sabres, and I get it. Uh, but I was thinking about it today, and they're going to miss the playoffs this year. This is a lost season, unfortunately. But I still have a hard time being, I guess, as negative as some people when I think about Eichel, Darlene, Olafson, Reinhardt, and I still believe in Skinner, 
that's five guys. That's a good start. Like, I still feel like if you, they got the right GM, which I, I think is what they don't have because I love the coach. I think he's a fantastic coach, and I would almost be willing to roll the dice with a coach-GM situation. I know it hasn't happened in the league in a few years at this point now, but, like, I still look at it and think it doesn't have to be that long. Like, Jack Eichel could play in a playoff game next year that you're after. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Tell me why I'm crazy, because I guess you think I am. You're not crazy. Um, and in fact, I've, I've floated the Ralph Kruger GM coach idea myself. Um, it, more so for the idea that, like, the apprehension in making a move with Botterill is that you don't want to necessarily start over. Um, hit the, yeah, hit yeah. the reset button again, because right. that sets you back even more a couple of years. So if you wanted to keep the sort of line of succession going, maybe that's an idea that you could you could then, float there. And, and, and we haven't had president one, I think, in. since. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. haven't had one since Jacques Martin, Martin uh, did yeah. it with the Florida Panthers, uh, I guess maybe like over a decade ago. But um, I, some of the guys you named, I mean, Olofsson seems like he's the real deal. Uh, in some ways, I think he's always had a real good shot. I'm still waiting to see. Give me a couple of years to know what kind of overall player he's going to end up being. Um, I think he's Skinner, a great, great winger for Jack, though. I mean, any one rookie sure. of the month, two months that he's played this year as a rookie. So right, yeah, yeah. no, no, for yeah. sure. And and I think that's, I mean, that's you'd hope that someone could do that playing with right. Jack. Right, yeah. We we saw that we saw Jeff Skinner do that with Jack right. last year, and he earned a lot of money and a, and a nose move clause. And now look where we are. Right. Um, <laughs> but I think I think you're you're you're. I mean. I don't know if it's optimism. There's a lot of pessimism with this team, and rightfully so. Of course, they've earned that. The bottle made didn't pan Mm -hmm. out. Um, Some of the prospects that have come down the pike haven't uh, come to fruition, Middlestat being the most prominent one. Although I still Um, believe in Middlestat, and he's doing great in the NHL. But a general manager that comes into the situation Mm -hmm. um, is coming into the situation with a foundational, close-to-generational talent in Eichel, and with Dalene, and so if you approach a situation of what are what are the building blocks of a Stanley Cup championship team? Well, you need you need you know one usually you need one dynamic center, Star center one yeah. really good two way center, uh, a, a foundational uh, franchise defenseman, which they have, and a, and a goaltender that can steal you a round or two, which, which they, they don't, don't have. have yet. So nope. at the very least, you've got two of the building blocks for a championship team that are in place and they're young and they're, and they're going to be there for a long time. So if you were looking to bring in a general manager or a, a president of hockey operations or what have you to kind of sort of recenter this team, get it back on track, whatever, I mean, like that's a pretty good place to start. I mean, it, it's, it's not as if the, the cupboard is completely barren. I mean, I, I would, I would proffer that if you were somebody looking at, the devil situation, and this is before the draft, keep in mind, because who knows if they end up winning the lottery again right. or what yeah. have you. Yep. But if you look at their situation, you look at the Sabres situation, I mean, I, I might I might say that the, the Sabres are in a better position. I mean, just because you know what you have with Eichel and you know what you have with Darlene, and Heischer and Hughes are going to be really good, but maybe not on the level of, of what Darlene and, and Eichel are. So, um, so yeah, it's not, it's not as if it's, the cupboard is barren. It's not as if there aren't things to build around. Um, and it's, and again, like I wrote, I, I really like Jason Botterill, uh, as a person. I really think that he has the stuff to be a good general manager in this league, but it's really hard to not take a look at the moves that he's made. And I mean, 
almost universally outside of the Skinner deal, which is something that fell into his lap because Skinner had uh, some control over where he wanted to be traded. Um, so many of these things haven't worked out and, right. and have been underwhelming and, and he's not gotten the returns that he should be getting for a lot of it. So I do um, feel bad for him about the O'Reilly trade because I, I don't know for sure, but it sure feels like the mandate to make that trade at all came above his head. Sure. Um, you know, when he made those but comments I mean, at, in the locker at the end room. Of the day, yeah, but at the end of the day, he, he acquired a guy who quit on the team. Right, not his <laughs> a, fault. A fourth, a fourth liner, uh, the, the, probably the weakest prospect the Blues had to offer in that deal. He didn't get Kyrou, and he didn't have, get Robert Thomas. He not got, getting he got Thomas Thompson. hurts. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, like, there's a lot of, and, you know, he trades for Scandella and then flips Scandella to get a, a lower draft pick. Uh, he didn't get a great return on the Evander Kane trade. In hindsight, there's, there's a lot of reasons to say. Oh, he's failed. Hey, is this? Yeah, he's failed. Yeah, there's no doubt yeah, about right. it. Yeah, so, but, but I mean, I think there's, but there, there is also a part of me that says, you know, you got to give the guy a little bit of slack when he is basically inheriting a, a rebuild and then starting his own rebuild inside the rebuild. I've been calling it for years. Like it's like Inception. Like there's there's like different different layers of rebuild happening at the same time because right. the way that Tim Murray left the team. So, mm-hmm. um, in that in that sense, I, I kind of feel for him it, it, that he's been trying to dig out of this hole uh, ever since he got there. And and you know, typically you want to give GMs five years to kind of figure these things out. But the trade history alone in the last three years gives you pause as to whether or not he's the right guy for the situation going forward. The most important thing for them, and you kind of mentioned it is in the next couple of years, they need the guys that are supposed to be good to be good. Like, uh, what I mean by that is not like, I mean like, like middle stat needs to live up to the expectation of a top 10 pick. You know, Cozens needs to live up to that as a top 10 pick. You know, like they need those to, they need to hit on those. You know, I'm not, I'm nowhere near ready to, to give up on a kid who was playing Minnesota high school hockey two years ago. They absolutely did the right thing by sending him to the AHL and thank God they did it when they did. And, you know, he's got, I think, seven points in the last six games there. I mean, he's playing great down there. So hopefully right. they keep him there and let him stay there for the rest of the season. And I still think he can be a big part of the future. All right, Greg Wyshynski, it's a quick one today. He's a busy dude. This It's that time of year. Of course, he's with ESPN. You can follow his work there. Uh, he does a few different podcasts, of course, Puck Soup, uh, which we know is a fun one. And um, what about the uh, – the hierarchy of um, Greg Wyshynski podcast partners of all time. Like, is it Merrick still the top dog? Uh, is Pizzo, like, is he the last place? Like, how do, how do you sort that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Merrick's always the top dog. And, Merrick and is I the think, one seed, right? I don't, I, don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if he'd say the same for me because Elliot's, you know. <laughs> True, like right, yeah, he's part. got Elliot now, yeah. But, but I mean, I think, I think Jeff and I have always – you know, no, and we've talked about it amongst ourselves for for many years that like the thing that we created was was very special and at the time very unique and um and more than anything else, like meant a lot to people. That's that's the thing I'll always take away from that podcast. And and to a certain extent, you know, the the other podcasts that I've done I know have the same impact, which is always really flattering. But you know, MVSW for 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 whatever reason, uh, just connected with people to the point where like when we said we weren't doing it anymore, there was just this outpouring of, of, uh, of people not only saying, you know, what it meant to them on a daily or weekly basis, but, but saying that it inspired them to start their own podcast or, 
you know, got them through some really difficult times. So like to have that on your, on your ledger as, as being a part of, of your career as a, as a podcaster or hockey writer or whatever is like, um, beyond, uh, flattering and, and such an honor to have done that. I mean, to have created that and, and, um, you know, Jeff and I would love to do something. I think, I think at some point again, that we don't know what that'll end up being <laughs> because we now work for two different corporate masters. Right. Um, but, uh, but I mean, it's, it's, it's not as if we have heat or anything. I hate Lozo, obviously. Right. But, uh, yeah. He's the, know, he's no, definitely no, I'm, the, I'm kidding. The we're, 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 we're fine. I always have to caveat this stuff because people take it too seriously. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Jeff, Jeff and I will probably do something at some point down the line again, maybe even just like a reunion show or some, some such. Uh, very last thing, I'll let you out of here on this. What kind of trade deadline are we going to have? Um, boring unless uh, a couple of teams that might be looking to trade for players with term get itchy trigger, trigger fingers. And by that, I mean like the Leafs, for example. I don't think Kyle Dubas has a real appetite for trading for rentals. Um but he does have some significant young assets to trade and guys like Kasperi Kapanen and, and Andre Johansson. And, you know, like if he decides to dabble in someone like a Matt Dumba or, or other players like that, um, I mean, it could get really interesting. And, uh, but I mean, for the most part, I was just, I'm, I'm putting, that's the reason why we're cutting it a little short today is I'm doing a big, uh, trade to your guide for this week on ESPN.com. Oh, beautiful. And, um, like there's a ton of wingers and there's some really good defensemen for the rental market, but boy, if you need a center, man, you, you picked the wrong year. <laughs> like outside of, outside of a couple of the rentals like Pajo, it's, it's bad. I mean, you know, I literally have like Jeff Carter listed amongst the possible Ooh. centers to be traded. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a wasteland out there if you need a center, but uh, the rest of the positions, even goaltender, um, there's, there are some interesting options. Are the Canadians going to flip Kovalchuk or are they going to keep him? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, you know, there's a part of me that thinks that they should flip him because um, this has been a hell of an audition. Right, he's so But hot. there's another part of me that, that thinks it may not necessarily be the worst thing in the world to keep him around um, for, for so the younger hot. guys right. that, are, that are coming up and mm-hmm. for the impact that he's had on special teams. Um, more interesting for me is, is whether they decide to move either Tomas Tatar or Max Domi before the deadline. Um, both of those guys... I mean, in Domi, Domi's case, he's an RFA. Um, in Tatar's case, he's got another uh, year on his contract, but but is a dynamic offensive player to the point where you know why why dabble in in rentals when you can get a guy who makes under five million a season secured for next this year and the next. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the, the Habs are a real uh, a real wild card in this because I think they still think that they have a shot at the postseason, but we'll see what that looks like you know, in, in two weeks. All right. We'll finish that column. Cause we all want to read it. Uh, puck soup, <laughs> puck soup as a Patreon. So join that. Uh, if you can for Greg, it's a great podcast with him and, uh, uh, Lambert, right. Is on that, uh, mass Lambert and, uh, and the lovely and talented, and, and uh, Dan Lazo. goes Brown. Oh, so down goes Brown. Yeah. Right. Doing this thing. And, uh, yeah, it's the puck soup. The main show is, is weekly. It's free. You can find it on iTunes. It's a combination of hockey and pop culture. And then, uh, the Patreon is pretty cool. You get a bonus mailbag every week. It's kind of its own podcast and you get, uh, another bonus podcast each month of our choosing. And then we actually have a listener's choice podcast as well. Lambert's got a newsletter on there. 
you can get everything for like eight bucks or you can just get the audio stuff for five. And, and it's been, I mean, I, I started it, um, about a month before I started ESPN and had no concept of whether it would work or not. And we have like close to, I mean, we're, we're closing in, I think on like 2000 patrons. Wow. wow that's uh, fantastic. So it's, yeah, it's really, it's been really blowing us away as far as how many people dig it. So, um, and if you sign up, you get access to all of the bonus content we've ever done. So, and you get to uh, tease Lambert. Out. You get to tease Lambert about Yale beating uh, Mass Lowell in the Frozen Four in 2013. <laughs> all right. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure much like uh, all all the teasing of Lambert, uh, it'll go over well. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's went over <laughs> well for me over the years. Um, all right. Anything else you want to plug? Nah. Well, I mean, ESPN and I is with me and Emily Kaplan's the other podcast yep. I do with ESPN, and it's weekly. Um, great stuff. Usually have. Uh, some fascinating hockey-centric guests and, and some good banter and uh, uh, try to take the piss out of the hockey media when we get a chance to. <laughs> and she's just – and she's awesome. I, I, Great I, Monday, I, One of the true joys yeah. of working at this place uh, after all the years at Puck Daddy was getting to work with, with Emily and, and creating some awesome content with her. Yeah, she writes a Great Monday column. Still a little too in love with the Oilers, but um, she's been great. <laughs> she's been great when she's been on. You going to change your cup pick or are you still going to stick with Sabres uh, for the East? Or are you going to switch that now? For the for the, the Sabers, yeah. Are you sticking with the Sabers? Are you going to switch it? No, yeah. I'll probably switch it. Okay. I forget who I picked before the season. I, I don't know it, if, I, if I went with the chalky Tampa pick or not. No, I think it was like um, Sabers versus um, Flames. I think something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back and check who I actually picked because it, it, you know we'll find it. Oh, I should also mention for those yeah. who like to gamble. Yeah, uh, that I also do uh, daily wager on ESPN two. Um, um, I, uh, usually four, three or four times a week, making uh, hockey picks there and, and doing pretty darn good for myself to the point where people are actually like emailing me when I'm not on, being like, "Who you got tonight?" Which is maybe I have a second career as a tout at some point. Nice. And I should mention for both of us that if you like the podcast that Greg does with Emily, that you can listen to the Richard Deitch Sports Media podcast. Scroll back like to last March, and Greg and Emily were on as well as I on that one, that episode. We were oh, both right, on yeah. it. Yeah, so check yeah. that out. I kind of gave Richard this idea to do a podcast about tiered podcasts. Like, start with a big guy who has a huge market share, and he did Conrad Thompson, and then kind of trickled down to you get to a bum like me, and he, he did that. So uh, check <laughs> check that out, too. Greg, we're way over what you asked me to do. I apologize for that, but I do want to thank you for being – it's this 10th season of this podcast. I started in 2011, and you were on episode two. Uh, so I want to thank you so much for being with me all this time. I appreciate it. Hey, it's, it's my pleasure, and it's all my fault for being with us. All right. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. Take care, bud. A little too tall, could have used a few pounds. High pants points hollering out. She was a black hat beauty with big dark eyes and points all her own, sitting way up high. All right, I want to thank Greg Wyshynski for being on the podcast today. Don't forget that you can find Greg all the way back at episode two, season one, episode two. Crazy. All right, thanks to Greg. Real quick book club update today. We haven't really started reading any books yet in 2020. Uh, but I did mention in episode one that 
uh, we had fallen behind kind of on uh, a certain book and a certain guest, and that's Blake J. Harris, uh, who wrote a book about uh, virtual reality. And we never worked it out through illness and scheduling conflicts. And I talked to him offline, and we're going to finally get this interview down. Uh, maybe we'll be able to do it next week, and it'll be Jeff Perlman and Blake on the show next week. But I wanted to mention him. And don't forget about Console Wars, which is kind of his, I mean, if we're being honest, that's like his stairway to heaven. No matter what he ever does, I think, from this point forward, he'll always be remembered as the Console Wars guy. And it's an incredible book that's getting incredible buzz. And there's going to be a documentary, and there's going to be a series uh, that's being produced by Seth Rogen and his partner. I mean, big, big things. And we're going to get all the information about that uh, from Blake. But please check out his book, Console Wars, or his book about a virtual reality. And we're going to get him finally on the phone, hopefully, within the next week or two. Uh, I know it's baseball book season, right? As pitchers and catchers are reporting. And there's books coming out in the in the next couple months about baseball. And if there's one that you think we should feature on the book club, let me know because I'm I'm sending emails and pitches out uh, to authors who have books coming out, uh, and we'll probably spend the next couple months reading about baseball uh, since this is the time of the year uh, that baseball books usually come out. All right. With all that said, let's take another break, and when we come back, we're going to talk Sabers and we're going to talk radio uh, with Mike Shope from WGR 550. All right, our next guest is on the radio in Buffalo every Monday through Friday from 3 to 7 on WGR. It's the Chopin the Bulldog Show, and he's been really great to me and really great to this podcast, and I'm excited to have him on again today. A warm sportscasters welcome to Mike Shope. What's going on, Mike? How are you doing today, buddy? All right, Steve. What have you been up to? Oh, you know, surgery, rehab, those kind of fun things. But you're tougher for it. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. I've had a lot of them since 2003. But this year I had three in 289 days. And that was a unique challenge because the abdominal wall uh, has had enough of uh, of me and my surgeon. That's for sure. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're uh, well enough to, to be here and to keep doing your work. Yes. Thank you. It's nothing I can't handle. You know, like I always tell whoever listens that. It's really not that bad. There's a lot of people who have it a lot worse, and uh, I'll be just fine. The Sabres, on the other yeah. hand, <laughs> the Sabres, on the other <laughs> hand, <laughs> I'm not so sure. Um, I was talking to Greg Wyshynski. I don't know if you read what he wrote. Um, I did. Yeah. I, he, he kind of had prefaced it by saying, like, it was the bleakest thing he's written about a team in a while and how bad it was and... Then I read it, and I was like, I don't know. Like, This is what I said to him, and I'll see what you think. And like, Obviously, this feels like a lost year. Things can change, uh, and hopefully they do. I don't see it, but um, if it is another lost year, you know, I still can't help but think, man, they have Jack Eichel. 
They have Rasmus Dahlin. They have Victor Olsen. They have Sam Reinhart. You know, I still, I'm not going to write off a kid who two years ago was playing Minnesota high school hockey. I th- think they did the right thing getting him where he is. And I still believe he can be a great player in the league in Casey Middlestat. Um, you know, it just feels like there's enough there, you know, for either Botterill or someone else. And I love the coach, I really do, to make a viable borderline or, you know, playoff team in the NHL a lot quicker than maybe other people think. Tell me, tell me why I'm crazy about that. I don't think it's crazy. It's been really a riddle, the point you lay, you lay out, why they're not even able to compete for the playoffs with such a good starting point. Because I would agree, and I think most would, that they have that. I feel like I've always felt that that's the hard part in building a winner is the part that they have already built. Right. But they have been so epically terrible at the rest of it, including identifying good players on other teams. There's tons of good value in the league if you just know how to look for it, I believe, um, and what to look for. They've also been, for whatever reason, unwilling, unable to move provably below-average players off their roster for reasons I can't understand. And I don't know if it isn't, you know, sometimes more than just what the GM decides, whether there are personal uh, feelings or relationships or whether ownership has feelings about certain players. I don't know. I just think that a cold um, assessment and analysis of the Sabres is what's needed. And if it's not anything more than what it seems like it should be on the surface, which is just a GM making decisions, that it's almost inexplicable that they haven't done more and that they're still wallowing in this this drought, really. For, for a hockey team, it's about as long as any has ever lasted. Yeah, I, I mean, insane. to go almost a decade without a playoff team in hockey is is unprecedented, almost. So, oh boy, almost. Sorry, Steve, I think I'm on the road. No problem, um, yeah. It's really amazing. I mean, really quite a feat to be as lowly as this team has been for so long. It's been a half a year or a little bit more. I said that I, I do like uh, the coach. I'm curious what you think. Do you believe in Ralph? I like how he sounds. I think most people do. Um, He's interesting to listen to. He's bright. He's a big upgrade over the last guy in that kind of way. I like that he's philosophical in the way he is. He's positive. I think that's good for Buffalo. I think in a lot of ways, he has a lot of traits that I admire and I think are are, um, valuable. I don't know if he's any better at using data to assess who's good and who's less good than anybody else. You know, he is older, mm-hmm. and it's a stereotype to think that maybe an older coach would be less likely to to just lean on numbers, but it's often the case. And he just does not sound like or has shown to be a coach who will really seemingly uh, use data to make decisions. Now, I say all that, and I... I tried it enough times on the air to make this point 
or it might even sound like an excuse, but like I, I'm not a quant. I'm not somebody who can explain every statistic, but I know who can. <laughs> I know who the people are that can. And I just feel like the Sabres have been an embarrassment forever, for years, since data came into the conversation uh, in, in this area. And I know people who've told me that they have a voice or voices in the organization that, that do present some of the statistics, but whether it's Jason Botterill or maybe even Kruger or other people who have gone, there's just not enough evidence or really almost any that these statistics matter to them. That's interesting. Now, this is what I'm curious about. Now, I will admit that you are definitely way more interested in data than I am. Uh, like, I believe in it. I know that it, there's a place for it in every organization, that to be successful in uh, 2020, it needs to be a part of what you're doing. I don't dismiss it in any way. Um, I probably understand it a little less than you. Is there a specific data point or kind of a number that you can point to specifically and say, Ralph's ignoring that, the numbers say we should be doing this, not that? Like, is there a glaring one? Is, as, there, is there one, you know, that he's dogging it on? As far as the coach goes, I'm not sure. I mean, I think some of the basics, you look at ice time, mm-hmm. and, you know, in, in that way, while this has not been as glaring as earlier in the season, early in the season, Darlene was struggling, but he was playing really almost a shockingly little amount. Ristolainen was continuing to just destroy it when it came to ice time. And, and that has changed somewhat. So I look at that, and I don't really think that um, he's quite a culprit in that area. Really, what I guess I would list first is not a statistic, but it's the fact that, like, Bogosian and certain players who either really just don't get the job done as evidenced by the numbers, or even in Bogosian's case, as for a trade, which is kind of weird. Right. Like, there, there were... It's the lineup more than it is. I think somebody could give you a better, a better detailed answer as far as the rest of it. But I know at times this year with the lineup, it's been really questionable why Pilot started the season again in Rochester, and also he's somebody that hasn't always been good by stats. But I would say it's mostly that you had the curious case of Rodriguez this year, how Rodriguez started the season on the bench, and that was kind of weird. There's also, with this team, so you have Rodriguez for this, and you have, most of all, Jeff Skinner for this. So you have this, it, it, it seems sometimes like there's just, they're not unified on what to do with players or what they think of players. With Skinner, who, like, there's a, a certain vocal portion of the fan base and maybe the media who think it's obvious that Skinner should play with Eichel and look at how his goals have dropped off. Right. I don't really, I don't really share that opinion. And I think that there is, uh, uh, a theory or a, an argument based in stats that supports the way they do it. But Skinner's also making $9 million a year and mm-hmm. it just looks bad to have the guy be producing so little. Like, so why did you do it? If, you, if you're going to make that, you're going to sign into that contract and you're, your thinking is that he doesn't need to play with Eichel, which is, I think, right. Shouldn't there be somebody else on the team to compliment him and to help make him worth something close to what they're paying him? So you have 
lineup decisions and you have sometimes it's pairings and line combinations, I suppose. And then you have this overall, I think, dysfunction when it comes to how, how they assess the values of certain players and how they work together to have them be put in what seem like the right situations. And Skinner is a, an easy example of how what they have put together here can be questioned. Man, for as much as I do like Ralph, it sure does feel like he's kind of got his heels dug in on the Skinner thing. You know, the more he gets pressed on it, the more it feels like he's maybe digging in a little bit and being stubborn about that. Um, clearly, Skinner's deep in a doghouse, right? I mean, just by ice time and, I mean, geez, he, he's not getting much power play anymore. We don't see him four on four, although Housley didn't play him a lot of four on four either. I'm not sure what that says about either guy, but yeah, I mean, he's he's had a frustrating season for sure. Um, you mentioned Bogosian. I don't think he needs stats to know that guy shouldn't be in the lineup that much, right? And I mean, <laughs> and then he, you know, he kind of says, like, I don't want to be here. Like, I would, I mean, all right, you know, I would have just found him a nice seat, you know, up in the press box until they could figure something out. They got enough other guys. I don't know that we we need to ever see him again. Um, man, well, it's, let me let me say, yeah, like there there are times when there are times when you don't need statistics, but there are times when I think you see something and the statistics tell you the opposite. That's, <laughs> That's when it not really it, gets right? interesting, right? Yeah. So uh, on on Skinner, like he didn't play on the power play at all in their last game right. against Anaheim, and then there was the the overtime game against was it uh, Detroit last week where he didn't play at all in overtime. And I just can't believe that that could happen in the NHL ever, where you have a guy that is paid like that, that scores like that, that has been a great even-strength scorer in his career, and he's just not used. This Part of the point about, if not Kruger, just older coaches maybe, or sort of the sound of old hockey or hockey men, is that there is oddly a, a kind of disrespect paid to scoring and this really coincides with other sports, too, with how there's a, there's a romance and a value attached to defense that offense is not afforded. And so what you have in Skinner is an elite goal scorer, and the Sabres don't know what to do with him. I mean, they can't figure out after having committed to him with that contract, which was massive, like they still can't even figure out how to do it. And relative to the rest of the league, what the – the stats and the charts look like is that the Sabres play about the dullest games in the league, which to a certain point is probably smart, but really it, it can also uh, reveal like this sort of lack of, um, I don't know, willingness to sort of go after it and score to win. And, you know, this has been a point about the bills that, I, that is, that has been right. one of my pet peeves for many years is like, okay, so, they have a good defense now, and they have a, a they're well coached now, and there's these this these certain things, but they still can't throw it for yards, and it's hard to take them seriously for me until they can do that, and until the Sabers can like really score, they're just gonna fail, and and Skinner being on the bench is a or just playing like he is is like a microcosm of that. Just a quick side note: as we talk, they are practicing, and he is on the second power play. Um this morning so we'll see if that means anything uh when they play a game yeah uh you know it's interesting too because my friend don who used to host this podcast with me years ago he's a 
he's huge and loves analytics, loves stats. He's, he's like the perfect guy. You know, he understands it just better than I do because he's smarter. You know, he can break it down better. He sees it that way. He's great at it. And he's super anti-goalie. You know, he doesn't want to trade for goalies. He doesn't want to invest in goalies. He thinks, you know, just about any goalie. Like, there's not a lot of above-replacement-level goalies in the league and that if you can get a replacement-level goalie, you should be fine. Man, but this city, we've always had what felt like a great goalie, at least in my lifetime, you know, whether it be, you know, Tom Barrasso when I was just learning hockey or, you know, Ryan Miller who was just here the other day or obviously Dominic Hasek. just feels like it's been an identity of the team even back into the 70s, you know, when they started. There was just a part of what made Buffalo hockey a thing, Buffalo hockey, right? We had a goalie, a good goalie. Um, And I understand what my friend Don says, but it does feel like the last few years, in a lot of instances, we haven't even gotten the replacement level goaltending. You know, that it's been below that somehow. Um, What about goaltending in your eyes and... Are we just fingers crossed that UPL is that next guy, or uh, do you feel like that's a move they need to make somehow in the next, you know, before next season, or where are we at in your mind with goalie? Well, I would consider myself very much with your friend. Yeah. Um, I don't want I don't want to trade for him either. I don't want to like really count on them either. Lucan in by all accounts sounds like a great idea, but. I don't, I'm not interested in it at all. I mean, if it works out, great. In the way Hashik worked out, great. But nobody knew anything. And, and that's the thing about goalies that makes it tough to really sort, I think, to sort of to count on, whether it's how to build your team or any other reason. It's just nobody seems very good, as far as I know, at predicting them. And some of the biggest names and stars in the league at that position are actually all over the place in performance, but maybe don't get sort of recognized for that because they've already won a Stanley Cup or they've already sort of, to whatever extent, shown that they're capable. So I, I really wouldn't want to do anything um, or I wouldn't want to like expect or assume that I'm going to have a goalie star in the future, even though signs might point to it. Um, you're right, I would say, that in the last two or three years they haven't even gotten good goaltending, and if they had – maybe they would have been anywhere near the playoffs or somewhere near the playoffs. But without that too, they've just been, you know, near the bottom. And the fact that, you know, I, th- I think you're right about the history of the team. I mean, Hasek, most of all, he's a two-time heart winner. Um, but I don't know that I want to care about that if I'm, if I'm doing this job, you know, like if I'm, if I'm trying to build it, I'm not sure. No, I that's would, right. No, that's right. You're right. About you know, that. yeah, I would do anything about that. I remember, when, so everybody sort of bought into Ryan Miller. Me too. I mean, that was a great time in, in the history of the team. It was getting really good, and Miller was their obvious, like, number one guy. But there were times toward in the middle of that, when Baran was still here, that this might have been the first time I ever thought about hockey statistics at all, really, or, like, trying to figure something out that, that wasn't obvious. Um, how... If you looked at save percentage of the two guys, this probably would have been 506 because Braun was gone by the next year. They were just barely different. And now you've got all this data that can really sort of dig deeper into that. But even at that time, I'm like, why do we care so much about 
Miller over Baran if he's stopping two more out of every 1,000 shots? Right. Like, what, why, why are we looking at this like it really matters? And I think that's part of it, too, is that not only can you, I think, and I, I'm not the expert on this, but I think statistically not only can you not uh, really forecast goalies, but I'm not sure really m- much of the time the, the difference you're getting is, is significant. So, I mean, here, Allmark has been just okay, I think. I mean, he was a protected prospect of theirs, and I think they've probably wanted more. That said, the last time we talked to Jason Botterill about him and Kruger on the same day, they were both sort of fawning over how well he had done, and they are also oh, playing him yeah. every game, yeah, <laughs> just about. So, mm-hmm. again, this is, another, this is another time when I feel like the Sabres just don't see the world Right. Uh, the way I'd like to, or the way that I think a lot of smart people who analyze the, the stats of the sport do. Yeah, I think that all that is fair. The thing that I, again, that I go back to is they still have to find a way to at least get the, you know, the replacement level. Like we can't be the below it all the time. You know, it's like the one year we had Leonard yep. who, who, I mean, how many points did he, did he save one shot in the, in the shootout that year? Uh, no, but, I don't think he did, right? I mean, how I mean, many games was that? Points? I don't know. No, I think there. I think there might have been a year where he went zero for nine. Yeah, it might have been worse than that. But, even, but I don't know. Also, but like the, that's not the game, you know. True. And, yeah. And fans, Leonard is is a is a study in how fans will sort of how fans consider you based on what your team paid for them. I mean, Leonard was always pretty good, better than. Allmark probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, better than a lot of guys. You've seen what he's been capable of since he left. I mean, that's just like awesome. And here he was a guy that the Sabres traded a first round pick for. And, you know, maybe by his personality, he didn't always come off as like the, the most sort of, I don't know, level headed. Right. And he wasn't <laughs> living right. Whatever. And he wasn't living right by whatever. his own admission, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There, there is that. But he yeah. also stopped the puck. True. And yeah, I wish we could have got his best. Yeah, this this can lead you to O'Reilly, who was, you know, if it's not too strong, vilified for his feelings, or you know, even maybe at the beginning with the incident with the truck, like sort of judged in certain ways. And I don't really know how these these guys lived, but O'Reilly was a provably good player, no matter how he felt. Mm-hmm. And the Sabers put his feelings above you know, his play, and traded him for nothing. I mean, traded right. him for, for right. parts. Yeah. So that one that one, that one, one hurts. All right, let me ask you one more thing about this, and then I wanna, we got to get at least get a couple of radio questions in, and then I'll let you go. Okay. Uh, there was the whole thing with uh, the caller, Dwayne, and I actually know that kid. He's like a friend of my brother's, which is funny. Um, but that's a Buffalo thing, right? Like <laughs> we all know everybody knows right, him. Everybody knows, everybody knows everybody. him. Right. Yeah. It's, that all happened. And they're like, Oh, I play hockey with him. Right, or, I yeah. know. His, I, I work with his sister. Yeah. Everybody knows him. Yeah. That's a, that's gotta be it. Well, I don't know. I don't live in other cities. Maybe it's like that too there, but it's definitely something that <laughs> happens here. Uh, but there was yeah. like, it just kind of exposed the frustration and I'm not going to get into like. Did the Sabers kind of blow it with that and the president? Whatever, forget all that. Let's just talk. Let's focus on the the, the fan because I know you're a fan and I'm a fan, and I was a season ticket holder and you, I think, still are. If I got that right, yes. Um, yep. 
it, it just kind of represented a boiling over, like right, like a frustration and like a. I don't know. Where do you stand, just as a fan? Are like, are you as frustrated as that? I'm probably not. Uh, are you as frustrated as that? Do you have those feelings? Are you anywhere near reaching like a a tipping point with what it means to like care about the team? I, I don't know. I guess he always has said like he still cares about the team. It's he wants some kind of like I don't know press conference or I mean whatever. But just uh, let's focus on the frustration. Like where are you at with that? Well, I I, I have thought different examples through the years, like for a long time, that the Sabres have had, and I'm talking off the ice, they, they, they just seem to miss a lot. They, they seem, there's, all, there's just like, my, my head is sort of flooded with examples of different interactions I've had with people there or things that they've done, promotions or game presentation or whatever. It just always seems not not quite right yeah. or not good enough. Now, I know it's not always, but it's just like sort of one of the first observations I made about them when I came to work here 20 years ago. Like, why is this so hard? And then, you know, there's just been like different, exa- again, different examples over the years. Where I'm like, yeah, this is just not, but I'm not, you know, an expert in promotions or these things. I'm just sort of trying to, get a feel for how they do with this. How does it feel to be in there? And then what do you hear about how it is in other places and, you know, make some sort of judgment. So I don't think that that's so different now necessarily, but a lot of it has come to light. And with those uniforms in this, like this season that they've singled out as a special year to promote, I mean, that's just a gaffe. I mean, (laughs) you know, the fact that Wyshynski and all these guys have paid heed to that, I think, you know, talk shows have callers who go on rants and hosts, but I kind of want to think that the people who wrote this up looked into it and thought, yeah, the guy has a point. So, yes, it's frustrating. And the fact that it's just always more expensive and, you know, when I'm a little bit hot on the air, I'll I'll make a comment about the beer selections or a comment about the music or something because I just think I don't really know how much – how good they are at it. I mean, there's just been so much. So I do care about that stuff. And, and Sabres fans tend to do care about that. Uh, I think, I mean, like I do this sort of imaging yeah. area is important, is important to fans. A couple of things. When I, I, I worked at holiday twin rinks, like when I was in high school and a little bit into college and the guy who made the ice there, like a super nice guy, like the head ice maker. And, um, he's telling me a story one day. He's like, yeah, you know, I left here to take a, a similar job with the Sabres. And um, he's like, I worked there for two days. I came back and begged uh, the chief to let me come back here. And I just remember thinking, like, that's so baffling. Like, how is Holiday Twin Ranks, like, better job than doing it for the Sabres in the NHL? Like, you know? (laughs) And that's always kind of stuck with me. You know, Um, that's years ago now and different owners and different people. But it's always just stuck with me. Like, how could that happen? And then the other thing... I'll give you one. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. No, you go ahead. All right. All right. All right, well, I, I was invited, because, you know, I've been critical of them, and I, I, I try to not overdo it <laughs> right now, though there's a lot of a lot of attention being paid, and a couple years ago, there was a time like this, I don't know what exactly or when, but I was invited, there's a guy I know there and really like, 
and he he said, "Listen, why don't you come to we'll, we we get fans together, season ticket holders together every once in a while, and just talk to them." And so, why don't you come to one of these? They're like, "Okay, of course." You know, I'm a season ticket holder, so whether I don't know what the terms are of you're inviting me, but of course I'll come to that. <laughs> so I went to I went to this like little lunch with six or eight people who were season ticket holders, and I could not believe their complaints. I could not believe the things that the fans were complaining about, about how they deserved refunds or something. I mean, it was just sort of over the top. But I also did not really understand what the point was for me to be asked there. Like, was I supposed to come away feeling like, you know, the Sabres shouldn't have to deal with that or that they are just... I, I couldn't I couldn't make sense of, like, why, why I was asked to be there, but... I I just I felt a little bit bad for the guy, but also thought, yeah, well, you know, there's probably more you can do here. I, I don't know. It's not a great example. Um, there's just been there's just a, my mind is sort of cluttered with all the kinds of examples like that over the years. Um, you want you want ownership to show again to, to sort of re- repeat the way it sounded, the way Terry sounded when he when he took over, and get you know, sort of a reminder that he cares about it and that it's important and it's not just about owning the bills now or anything like that. And that's really since they have, they've fired people who did some of the speaking for him and now there's no one left to do it. And Botterill's not that good at it or even maybe even remotely concerned with these kind of promotional sort of areas. And so there's nobody there to sort of speak up and, and just doing that, whether you agree with them or not, just doing that, I think, would be worth a lot. Yeah, the other thing I was going to say is just that I remember the first time I was in the arena because it was my very first Pearl Jam concert, and I've been to 80-plus since. But I just remember that day. I remember my dad. It was October 1st, 1996, so it was, like, barely open. And I remember, you know, my dad dropping me off. And I remember just walking in there and... I was disappointed the smell was gone. That was my first – I was like, man, it doesn't smell like the other place. I'm going to miss that. That was the first thing I thought. But I just remember going in there and like being in awe of like how big it looked and how beautiful it was to me. I was six, just barely 16, and I just – I miss feeling that way about the place. You know, I wish that – you know, I wish that it meant more to someone else that could do something about it you know, it looked that it could be somewhere where people could come from out of town and be like, wow, that was a great place to be, you know, but yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Let's, uh, sportscaster here with Mike Shope. He's always nice to give us some time and I appreciate that. I want to, I want to throw a couple quick things at you and I'll let you go. I know it's getting long. Um, you tweeted a photo the other day that kind of touched my heart a little bit. Um, you tweeted a photo of yourself and your son and the bulldog and his son, and you guys had went to lunch together. Uh, maybe kind yeah. of, a, maybe kind of a benign thing, but I looked at it and I, I just, there was something about it, you know, maybe as a father now, but there was just something about it to me. I was looking at it and thinking like, wow, this is so great. These two guys that I don't know a ton about, but I know, you know, they've been this team on, on the radio and we, we have heard all the stories about you know, Mike and the Mad Dog, you know, Opie and Anthony, like all these radio teams that have just been these guys who don't exist uh, outside of the radio show. They, they somehow have this ability to like turn the mics on and put their hatred for each other away and, and still put on great radio. 
Uh, but it just kind of touched me a little bit that it was different in this case, seemingly through this photo, that here are these two guys, they care about each other, and they bring their families together in this way, and they, they just have lunch just because like, maybe you guys felt like you needed to do it that day. Um, and I guess I want to ask you, since you're on so close to the, the picture, like kind of what it means to you to have that connection with Bulldog and what it means, what you think maybe it means to the radio show and how your connection in that way lends itself to good radio if it does at all. Well, first of all, thank you for all of that. Um, it was just, I used to take my son there on Friday mornings when he was going to daycare in Buffalo, and I just had some thought to do that again and invited them. They were able to do it. Schools happened to be canceled. Buffalo schools happened to be canceled that day, so Owen could come. Right. Um, you know, I just have always kind of thought that it would be terrible to work with somebody you didn't like. Like, it would just be terrible. Like, why would you just, why would you ever do it? Right. And sometimes maybe circumstances require it, and I'm sure a lot of people, you know, have to settle for things, settle for whatever it is, but I've always liked him and admired him, and also, he's also an attachment to Buffalo for me that I don't have, that I don't come with by myself. Um, I never really spent much time in the city growing up. I grew up on Grand Island, and we went north for everything. We went north for the movies and shopping and everything that we couldn't do on the island. We would do to the north, Bagger Falls. Like, that's where I'm more attached to than Buffalo. We come to Buffalo to watch the Sabres play and for my dad to buy gold. My dad is a goldsmith, and <laughs> once in a while he and I would drive in and go to Jack Hunt or wherever he was. He would go to buy gold. That's it. Like, maybe on Thanksgiving, my uncle lived in North Buffalo, if that even counts. So, right. Um. So Chris is like a lot of things, you know, he's like a big brother. He's sort of a, you know, a friend in that way. And also um, he's an attachment to the city. So I like that we did that in the city. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the show, as I, as I see it and do it, it's 100% sincere and real. And maybe other shows can be like that without getting the two people getting along or something. But I don't know how I, how I could. How important is you two being together like i'm trying to think of how to ask this but when when contracts come up when it's time to think about do, do you still want to do this uh you know is this still the right career for you is is you know we talked last time about how you kind of flirted with espn radio you know we had the interesting coincidence of freddie coleman also being on and how you guys are kind of up for the same job which was really fun and thank you for sharing that but how important is yeah. what Bulldog is thinking to what Mike is thinking when it comes to those moments? Um, I mean, somewhat, okay. uh, somewhat. The last, the last contract I did was, I guess it would be three and a half years ago. It's for five years, and I think it would have be, been three and a half years ago, and I, I think I asked him. Owen was getting, was getting good, whatever it was. Like Owen was up and coming. Right. And I, I just I seem to remember it that way that maybe thinking of Owen, at least to some extent, I asked him, like, so are we good? <laughs> like, he, his contract, his time does not align with mine. Like, he, he was first, maybe, or something. And, and like, so are we, are we good for another, another round here? And I also asked my boss the same thing. Like, are you, are you good for another five years? Because I think I am, if you are, you know. And, um, like, that, I remember that being important to me. So I don't know how many more of these there will be. I mean, it's just sort of, ironic and for me i feel very feel very fortunate that we've been so stable in an industry where it's like known for being the opposite right so i take 
I take a lot of pride in our uh, our longevity. Um, and I don't know what happens next. I'm not really thinking about the next thing too much. I just I like being in there every day. Do you have any specific goals as like career goals that you still want to knock off? Is there something you want to accomplish or something you want to say or something you want to be able to do in radio still? Not really. No. Um, no, I don't really think of it like that. I, I would, I do like when we're talking more fantasy and gambling stuff because that's, a, that's of interest to me and being able to sort of blend that in or fold that into the, to the regular content, if you will, has been, uh, has been enjoyable to me because that's where I'm spending most of my time when I'm thinking about sports is fantasy or it's, it's like gambling stuff. So, and that's growing. uh, I like being able to, yeah. And that's growing. I like, I like being able to do that. I like that. I'm encouraged to do that at work. I, I want our listeners to know that because there's always these little, not always, but sometimes these little kind of responses or jabs, you know, like, tell us about your fantasy team or something. I'm not really telling you about my fantasy team. I'm having a conversation about the players on it. And the fact that they're on my team is ancillary. And I'm always encouraged to do it. You know, like write the article about your, about fantasy, write the article about the point spreads. So I think that that is an area that whether it's at GR or through the company that I think that there's like, there's potential and maybe I end up doing something eventually whenever uh, more geared toward that. But as far as specific goals, like places or events or anything like that, no. I mean, I want to last as long as I can doing what I'm doing. I never I never understood the no one cares about your fantasy uh, team thing, especially if you want to talk about fantasy, you know, because, like, that provides context. You know, what good is ta- – you know, sometimes you need to know, like, hey, this guy's on my team and I paired him with this guy and I went this way. That's how you – Start a discussion. I've never understood that. But let's end on this because yeah. you had you had the dream season for a fantasy football owner, right? Like you had the year <laughs> that everyone wants to have. I had that year a few years ago. I went five for five. Um, and I figured I should probably quit because I'm never going to do this good again. You know, it was that year where everyone you liked in the preseason somehow was good. You know, everything clicked. And I literally somehow won five for five. I'll never do that again. I know it. You had a a year like triple that. Tell me about the year. Give me the numbers because I kind of forgot them, but I know they're outstanding. And like what went right and do you think you can duplicate it? Because I don't have the confidence I can, but I bet you have the confidence you can. Um, Tell me a little bit about that and then I'll let you go. No, I'm I'm more like you in that I I recognize that those kind of years, just the the probabilities in play to win – so many leagues or all of them in your case is like, it's, it's rare. So there's just a lot of luck and you, you're, you're really lucky to be able to do that when you can do it. For me, it was the combination of making good decisions based on doing the good prep work. Nobody outworks me in my leagues. Um, like I, I do the, the basics, right? So that basically affords me the same team as everybody else who does the work too. Mm-hmm. And I had Lamar Jackson everywhere. So it was the combination of, of shares, yeah. doing doing the work and having like the the the, the foundation, and you're always going to you know be uh, at an advantage when you're do, working waivers and everything like that. So I do all that. So it's the combination of all of that plus Lamar Jackson 
equals a year for the ages. The the semifinal playoff week, so that's week 15, I was in 10 semifinals out of 14 or 15 leagues. So 10, 10 semifinals. Wow. And I had Jackson on, on eight of those teams, not, you know, coincidentally, and I was playing him in the other two. Oh. <laughs> was and that when they played Cleveland? I think, was that the Cleveland game? Or I think was that that's the when they week? played. That was the next week. Okay. I think they played the Jets on the Thursday night. Yep, you're right. You're right. So about that. Yep. They they played the Bills the week before, and I had Jackson on a lot of teams that were on buys. On buys, yes. Yep. And then I had I had the ten games, and he had the Thursday night. He might have had five touchdowns in that game against the Jets, and didn't play the fourth quarter. So it's yeah. like a great weekend. You wake up Friday, and you're like way ahead. But in two, I'm way behind. And in the end, I won all ten. Wow. So that that is the specific week I will almost definitely never duplicate or even approach 10 for 10 in the semis that is sick yeah i uh won one league this year and like you said not coincidentally it was the league i had lamar jackson in um man you know my strength as a player is drafting you know and the preparation i make going into drafts because i love that and like my friend Dino was telling you about, he's another great player that I respect. And what he's great at is what you said you're great at. You know, the the week in and the week out and the preparation and the waivers. And sometimes I get I get just fed up with that. And I'm like, what do I want this dumb guy who's never going to play more than two weeks for? I can't even look at my fab budgets right now. And that hurts me because uh, I let that get in my way of being good, as good as I could be. <laughs> but like I heard on Howard Stern randomly – uh, Matthew Barry was on there, and he said, "Look at being good at fantasy football." In his opinion, meant just getting to the playoffs every year because in the head-to-head format, there's so much variance. It's like it's not really about winning. In his opinion, about winning the leagues, it's about just getting to the playoffs and being able to, you know, right. outlast your league and get to that point. And uh, I always thought that was a good point. So, um, wow, yeah, to get I mean, to, no, me too. I think, yeah. I think, I think that's true in in every every sport. I mean, I think. In, in, in a in a pro league, in a real sports league where it's super competitive, I mean that's also your goal is championships. But you, a lot of a lot of luck plays into that. So I, I mean, at least back in terms of fantasy, I I agree with that. Um, you know, also, and this is a strength for me. I think I don't really care who the players are. Like I was talking yesterday or the day before with somebody about a baseball league coming up, and it's like, oh, I just I have to have this guy. I'd love to watch him. And I just could not be less like that. Right. I mean, e- even Lamar Jackson. I mean, Jackson has become sort of a cause for me and other guys like me because the worst criticisms of all time in football analysis have been made toward him, just like the worst. And so I, I just I hated it. And so he represented for me, I mean, injustice and all the worst points I've ever heard somebody call in with wrapped into one guy and then the bills drafted someone else over him like this it's on <laughs> and, and and so i i have loved having him on all my teams but i was in a league where yesterday was the deadline for franchise tags and i was going to give one to him and i was talking to a guy i said well what would what would it take what what could i get for lamar jackson he's like you're kidding um you would trade him i was like of course of course, of course. So I mean, it would take a lot. He's the, right. probably the 
one of the two most valuable assets, or not not literally, but for a quarterback, he's arguably the number one asset. So it would take a lot, but of course I would trade him because he's not, you know, family. He's not, he's, he's not, he's not it's, just a, it's just a yeah. name on a piece right. of paper. Yeah. yeah, it's a name on a piece of paper. So I think that helps too, to not be attached. Well, listen, thank you. Like, we went long and we talked about it a lot, but I do have to ask you. I know I said that was it, but I do have, I have to give you the opportunity at least. Do you have any questions for me? <laughs> well, I was, I, I asked you how you were feeling, and I, I yeah. think I did. Yeah, I, I, feel I was, great. I was, uh, concerned and, and encouraged by how you, how you sounded, and, um, I'm glad you're feeling better. And let me think. I want to think of one here, and I know you'll edit out the, the, sure. the dead space. Yeah, absolutely. So I can yes. I can take a second. Let's see. We do have that advantage. Um, what odds would you put on the Toronto Raptors to win the NBA title? <laughs> oh no. Um, <laughs> oh God. Not, not good. You're not the guy to ask this. No, I I my NBA is not my strong suit, but not good. I mean, they lost their star, and I'm, the NBA is about stars, and they're putting a hell of a fight up, and they're playing like champions. And I appreciate that about them. But, man, it sure seems like the Bucks, with only seven losses, I think, at this point, they have to have a really yep. good chance in the East and then the West. I mean, you got to wonder now with what happened to Kobe Bryant. Um, and maybe some people don't believe in this. But I just wonder if it's going to be one of those years where LeBron James is like, I'm not going to lose. You know, if that if that is a thing, if that's if that if you can if that mindset really exists and he can translate that mindset into domination in the playoffs. And I think it's going to be a benefit to him that he didn't have to play in them last year, uh, considering all the basketball he's played. I would be really scared of them in the playoffs for some, you know, but I'm I'm, I'm only a moderate fan of basketball. I would be nervous. Uh, if I was the the Raptors, although I appreciate the heart of a champion that they have showed uh, so far this year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's nothing to lose. I mean, at least I, I would say that as someone not on the team, having won last year, but they've won 15 games in a row. I assume they have not played Milwaukee in those 15 games, um, and the, it's the three teams at the top of the list for odds: Milwaukee, Lakers, Clippers are all pretty much the same. And then you have everybody else. Toronto is twenty to one. Like Philadelphia is fourteen to one. Toronto is twenty to one. So it is a little bit like last year. And I'm not you know, like you know one of these guys who can really analyze the NBA. I only follow it casually. But I know last year they were not considered to have a chance, and they won. Yeah, I mean, if you were gambling on it, if you wanted to put a future, the Raptors are great at twenty to one. I mean, I would like that better probably than any of the numbers you'd get on the top three. I mean, they've only lost 14 yeah, games all year. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to put a future right now, there's no value in the Lakers. You can practically get three to one the week they're in the finals if they make it. You know. Yes, and that's always that's always how I like to do it. I like to think of it like that, but I almost always lose. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you, you're searching you for value. You're trying to. The, yeah. Right. Yeah. You will need the Toronto Raptors to beat Milwaukee and the Lakers. Like <laughs> to do to actually do it is a, is a lot. So I've had plenty of futures bets that just made all the sense in the world and just lost or get you um, in a position where, where you can hedge right i mean if you're if you're a guy who likes to hedge that's right just get me somewhere where i can find another side and still make money and when you're at 20 to 1 that get might not the, be that hard to do get me to the third round right yeah mike 
Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, WGR 550 is where you find this guy. Uh, Monday through Friday. The show starts at 3. I don't think you need this plug, but whatever. And then also you can listen to it on, on the internet if you're not in Buffalo. So I have a lot of listeners in Colorado because I did a um, podcast with uh, Adrian Dater for a while. So I ca- carried a lot of uh, dent. I'm, you know the, the band, the Sheila Divine? Uh, the the singers like from Hamburg and they're like they say that they're popular in Buffalo, Belgium, and Boston, and I think I'm popular. <laughs> you know, I'm popular in Denver, uh, my mom's house, and um, you know, uh, there's probably another place, but I can't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, I'm always happy to be on with you. I have to thank Mike Shope and Greg Wyshynski for being on the Sportscast today. Don't forget, you can find this episode and all of the episodes of our podcast, in theory anyway, on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports underscore casters. You can find us on Twitter. We're at sports underscore casters there. The sportscasters at gmail.com at sportscasters on Instagram. And uh, we have a Facebook page as well if you search the Sportscasters. I've been trying and trying to utilize the Facebook page a little bit more as well. Don't forget my friend Peter Winson. He's greetings from Allentown at GF Allentown Pod on Twitter. His newest episode is a WCW show from 1986, I believe. And Peter and I co-host a podcast called the Adams Division Podcast. And we have recorded... The first part of the next Adams Division podcast, which will be on the Greetings from Allentown feed soon and on Place to Be Nation later. And in it, we break down a WrestleMania 1 through 14 supercard uh, where we had to come up with uh, 10 matches. You can only have one per Mania, one per wrestler, and one per title belt. Oh, so find out what Peter and I came up with there on the newest Adams Division podcast. Also, don't forget Place to Be Nation. It's at Place, the number two, the word B Nation. Uh, also, Place to Be Nation.com. It's an 80s tournament right now, and I am on the latest Place to Be Nation podcast as we review the Madison, Madison Square Garden WWF show from April of 1990. And had a lot of fun doing that, and always appreciate when Justin and Scott. Have me on. Remember, it's at place, the number two, BE Nation on Twitter. Check them out. Lots of great content, including an 80s. I don't know why I'm saying an 80s. It's an all-time sitcom tournament, and they're down to the final eight, and I'm not even sure if any of those eight are from the 80s, so I don't know how I was saying that. Well, I guess Cheers, I think, is one of the final eight. Uh, the Simpsons knocked off Seinfeld in an, epi- an upset. Uh, lots of stuff on there. Man, I am going too fast, and maybe I'm a little nervous uh, even after all these years doing this, maybe it makes me nervous sometimes, but I am an absolute mush mouth. I apologize for that. All right, one last thing. Let's put myself out of my misery here. Uh, I wanted to update everyone on what happened uh, with my surgery when it happened in January. January 17th was the date. Uh, I was told to get there, I want to say, at 9 o'clock. 
uh, for what was presumed to be an 11 o'clock surgery. That didn't happen. It never happens like that. Uh, He got behind. I think my surgery started at around 1 o'clock. Now, he had told me when he came in that it would be anywhere from 1 to 3 hours. It was closer to 7. And I have a habit of doing that. Uh, The surgeon says it's going to be one length. He gets in there. It's a disaster. And it's a completely other length. I woke up in the recovery. I remember looking up at the clock. and couldn't believe how late it was. It was like 9 or 10 o'clock p.m. And I was just like, wow. Where did the day go? Uh, Dr. Adams came and see me in the recovery. He said it was a successful surgery. He said it was obviously more complicated than he thought. And they ended up putting some disposable mesh in to to, uh, fix the surgical hernia. And he said that they used some kind of technique that they don't get to use often, but that they like to use, whatever that means. Uh, And it hurt. It hurt very bad. Uh, I went up to the floor and checked in. And the first 24 hours were really shitty. Uh, And then... You know, the pain medicine's great. I was getting it every two hours, which is more than fair. And I stayed there right until the following Thursday night. I stayed almost almost seven days, I guess, six or seven days. Uh, and I'm glad I did. I needed it. And it's been a tough recovery. I'm slow. I'm sore. Uh, and I might even be having a little bit of a Crohn's flare right now. But, you know, I always tell everyone, like, it's nothing I can't handle. And there's so many people out there that even I know that have it worse. So I don't like to, you know, complain or cry about it. But I did want to tell you guys that I'm doing better. And I wanted to thank everyone who's reached out to me on Twitter and on email, you know, just to say, I hope you're doing better. I'm glad it's going good and thinking about you because I got a lot of that. And I appreciate that. And that does help. Like, you know, it doesn't seem like much, but it does help when you're feeling down and out and sore it's nice to get a message from someone uh, especially someone who, who i know through the podcast so thank you to everyone who did that and thank you uh to tammy for holding down the fort here at home and to my sweet little paula who did struggle a little bit uh without daddy home uh, but since i've been home she's been taking care of me we call her the mini nurse and she's a great one uh and i appreciate her uh that's really it for today uh, the Sportscaster Season 10. Let's get into it now, huh? Let's fingers crossed for some good health and a good run and 30 or 40 episodes this year would be great. I appreciate everyone. We'll be back next week with Jeff Perlman.
Look up, self is real.